A thousand years ago, for almost everyone, the earth was at the center of the universe, with the sun and the planets and all the stars revolving around the earth, and we were right at the center of the universe. Now, I don't know if that's a stretch for you. That's not a stretch for me. Sometimes I think I'm right at the center of the universe. I know it's not true, but sometimes we think that way about ourselves. Eventually, this was shown to be literally, astronomically incorrect. We were a long ways off in thinking that we were right at the heart of the universe. And so we have a different view today. And last week, we looked at that different view. We looked at this photograph. This is a picture of GNZ-11, a galaxy, which is, as we talked about last week, maybe 32 billion light years away from where we are right now. We may have a question about whether or not how things got this way. Like, for example, did God create things to look exactly like they are now, but He did it relatively short time ago? Or did He do it billions of years ago? I'm not sure. That's for God to decide about when He did things and how He did them. The one thing that we can't convert or controvert is whether or not it's the case that that galaxy is there. It is, in fact, there. A thousand years ago, people believed that the world was flat because that's how it looked to them. At the edge of the world, as far as they were concerned, there were monsters out there somewhere. And then Columbus came along, and Columbus showed that, in fact, that was not the case, although it is still the case that there are some who think that the earth is flat. It's interesting, this photograph was taken in 1968. Some of you may have been watching recently the series on the Apollo spacecraft and uh, the events that took place with men landing on the moon about 50 years ago or so. That'll happen in just a few days. And before that, in December of 1968, this photograph was taken by chance, like they hadn't planned on it. They were taking pictures of some other things, and all of a sudden, this just appeared out the window, and they took this picture, and it amazed everyone. They sent this back to earth, blew them away. And one of the things I I watched as I was watching this just yesterday afternoon, Walter Cronkite, some of you are going to be old enough like me to remember him, Walter Cronkite looked at the camera and he said, and now the British Society of the Flat Earth Society has put out a press release saying that they're going to have to reconsider their position. And that makes sense that they would in light of the evidence. I wish the American Flat Earth Society would have done the same thing. They're still there probably. So things have changed in the last thousand years or so, and we know a lot more than we used to. One of the things that happened a thousand years ago was that people started to come in contact with people from other cultures. Prior to that, Western Europe was kind of a ghetto for itself, didn't get much beyond the borders didn't understand all these other people that were out there, didn't understand all the different views. And so as they became associated with Muslims, and they became associated with Hindus, Buddhists, and others, there were questions that began to arise about who God was. And so things have changed for those who once thought that there was only one perspective about God that was possible. Well, What's interesting 
is that there are some people who would still say that we have exclusively truth that we can hold on to about Jesus. But the word exclusive there doesn't mean that we intentionally exclude others. What it means is that we're, as far as we're concerned, that there is only one actual answer. And so although things have changed in some respects, people who would say, well, we don't believe that there's any such thing as truth, or we don't believe that there's uh, exclusively one God, actually do believe that there's some things that are true. In fact, they don't mean that there's no such thing as truth at all. And so when we talk about the origins of the universe, the fact is there's only one way in which the origins of the, earth, uh, of the earth and the universe could take place. You may have doubts about what that is, but there's no 15 ways. So when the earth began, when the universe was formed, it's not as if there were 15 things that happened all at once. So there wasn't a big bang, and God created it all at once by himself, just as it is. Nor did things suddenly come to exist on the back of a turtle, which is what some people actually think. Those views don't, they can't all at once explain the origins of the universe. Ultimately, the origins of the universe come down to one. And so all of us, at some sense, are going to have to say that truth really is there, that there is something that we actually believe. Um, I don't think there's anybody in the room right now who doubts, but that they're here, okay? It's possible. Like, you could be thinking, I'm not here. But my guess is you all do. And, in fact, when I say, you're all here, or I'm here, or if I say, there is no truth, I think that you think that's true. Don't you? If I say there's such a thing as truth, I think you think he's saying something that's true. If I said there was no such thing as truth, you'd have to be thinking, well, yeah, what he said was true. And that doesn't cohere very well as we start to say that there's no such thing as truth. So ultimately, I would say that something is true. In fact, I would say the earth is not flat. I would say that this picture is real and was actually taken. Josh, you want to move me forward there, one. So there is ultimately something true. I think all of us would have to say that. The question is, what do we do about this when it comes to religion? When people started getting out into the world and learning that there were Muslims, and that there were Hindus, and that there were Buddhists, this had to become some kind of of question for them. And the fact is, the question is huge. This question is so important that I want to spend some time talking about just this question of truth, specifically in relationship to religion this morning, because there are some of you who probably wonder. And especially, I think, that there could be some young people in the room who might be wondering, what about all of these claims? Do my parents know what they're talking about? They seem not to know what they're talking about, all, about all kinds of things. Do they know anything about religion? Is there anything here that could be said that's true? And what I want to say is that when it comes to the one use of the word exclusive in the sense that there is only one true 
way, I think there is a place when it comes to this decision to make an exclusive claim. And it's important that we think about this because it's so impactful on our lives. And here's the reason. If God is real and the only one, in other words, if this exclusive claim that we make is true, and if Christianity is not just a religion alongside other religious choices, which so many people think it is, then his real existence as God is totally decisive. It must dominate our lives. And I really don't see a way of arguing around this. If he is real, if he's as real as you and I say we are real ourselves here, if it's true, absolutely true in the way that we're saying we're here today, if he's as real as that, then there's just no room for saying he doesn't matter. He's too big. He's too grand. He's too significant. And in fact, it must dominate our lives. If we say, well, there is no God, then the fact that he is when we're saying there's not a God, automatically means that he dominates our lives, unfortunately with some pretty horrible results. And if we do believe it, and he is real, then that dominates our lives, or at least it should dominate our lives at every aspect because he's so real that we just shouldn't in any case ignore the significance of this one who is real. You know, we looked a couple of weeks ago at the vastness of the universe. Billions of light years across, 46 billion light years across from, the, from where we are to the edge, which means that the whole thing is some 92, 93 billion light years across is the universe. That's massive. And God created it. He stands outside of it. He's bigger than that. And if he is that big, he is significant for you and me. I don't see how we could say he's not when he's that big and that significant. Here's another thing that I think is true. I'm convinced from reading texts from the various religions that they are, in fact, mutually exclusive. We don't have time this morning to read all these texts, of course. We're not going to do that. But I'm convinced that at least this. I'm convinced that at least Jesus saw himself as the exclusive revelation of God. Again, not in the sense that Jesus wants to exclude anyone, but that he is the only one. That's how he saw himself. In fact, I would say that given the vastness of our universe and who God is, that there has to be, if if this claim is in any way true, that he is in fact the one, that we are not on our own, that there is another who stands out there and who is dominant and powerful and creative, and he must have in our minds this notion of exclusive authority and existence. God that big can't be anything else, it seems to me, exclusive and the one. There are not two out there. And our perspective must take that into account. Now, I would also say that the issue is not whether or not we're right or whether or not Jesus was telling the truth about this. That's not really the issue. The issue is not if I see this correctly. The issue is not whether or not I'm right. 
The issue is not whether or not we're right and another's wrong, but whether or not we believe what Jesus said. If he isn't telling the truth, we aren't wrong. We have been deceived. We have accepted and believed something that is absolutely incorrect if Jesus himself is wrong. And my point in saying this is that there is no room for pride among us as we make claims about Jesus. You know, Christians have the reputation of beating people to death with their Bibles. Christians have the reputation of being rude in the way that they hold on to their faith. Christians have the reputation of being self-righteous and unloving and in many ways exclusive in the way that I don't want to talk about exclusivity. That's who the world thinks that we are. And from what I can tell, we have absolutely no right to stand in that place. And the reason why is because I didn't create God. I'm not responsible for Him. Nor am I responsible for the truths that He claims about Himself. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I didn't make that up. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. The truth just came to me. It was revealed to me by God. There's no claim I have on this. All I do is simply accept something that God has told me. And in that, there can be no pride. I can't say to someone, I'm smarter than you, and that's why I believe. I can't say to somebody, God chose me specifically special and not you, and that's why I believe. Instead, I can only say, I heard a truth, and this I believe. And that takes away from me all the possibilities of pride. It takes away from me all the possibilities of judgmentalism. I am no judge. I am simply an acceptor of what it is that God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this. Let's imagine that four friends are standing back to back in a circle. In fact, let's get four people. I need four volunteers. Just raise your hand and I'll pick you real quick and you can come up front. Raise your hand. Four volunteers. Not all of you at once, though. Come on up. Three other brave souls. Please come. Charlotte, come on down. Okay. We have our four. Heather, come on up. It's Greg, right? Dan. Sorry, Dan. I met Dan... uh, couple of months ago in Red Deer at the men's retreat. I got his name wrong. You guys get back to back in a circle. Yeah, I know you can do this. There you go. Perfect. Let's imagine that these four friends are standing back to back in a circle with their backs to each other on a massive ridge, each looking at a vast, wonderful valley down in front of them with a large mountain in the distance dominating the valley. They're told by different sources, and they believe these sources, by the way, that three of the mountains that they're looking at and the valleys that they're looking over, three of these mountains are going to explode in a a massive eruption. And the valleys that they're watching over are going to be destroyed. One of the valleys that they're watching over is actually a mountain which is eternal. 
And if the four of them can escape into that one valley, if they happen to believe the right one, they're going to end up in a place of peace and prosperity. Each has various reasons for arguing that their valley is the one that they should choose, but at the end of the day, none of them can prove to the others why it is that they make the choice they do. They only have received a message, each one of them, that their valley is in fact the right one. They eventually each go into their own valley because they couldn't convince each other. And in the end, one is proved right and the other's wrong when three of the mountains do finally erupt as volcanoes, destroying everything in their valleys. Here are some things that I think the story says to us. First, as the story goes, the information that the four friends have is that only one of the valleys is a safe place of refuge. The valleys are not each safe, so that in the end they're all one big happy valley. One valley ultimately is exclusively the place of security and safety, and this is a truth actually believed by all four of the friends. They just don't know which one it is. A second thing, the friends have no reason to despise each other. Each is simply acting on information that they have received. It's like one person being born into a Christian culture, one into a Muslim culture, one into a Hindu culture, and one in a Buddhist culture. There's no room for arrogance or pride or looking down on each other. Neither one created the mountain. None of them has control over the valley. Nor did they come up with the information told to them about the mountains. They have simply been chosen and received the message. And in fact, that's what happened today. Like if I was to say, Heather, do you have good reason for being really arrogant and thinking that you're the only one that could possibly know the truth here? And, and she would have to say, well, no, Kelly, you just picked me out of the crowd and told me the story. And Charlotte would have to say the same thing. No, Kelly, you just, you just picked me. I can't be prideful here. I'm just hoping that maybe the choice I'm making about the story I've heard, that that mountain, it's actually the one that's going to be filled with peace and prosperity and the valley's going to be saved and my mountain won't explode. That's all she can really hope. No pride here. But ultimately, the fact is that one of the stories entails a mountain that's going to last forever. One of the stories holds a sense of peace and prosperity. And no more can we take pride in our position when it comes to making claims about Jesus than one of them could take pride in being chosen out of the crowd and then believing their story and trusting in their story and hoping that it's it. There can't be any pride and arrogance here. There can't be anything but love, in fact, and respect for the other persons who are, in fact, wrong Because they're just like you, chosen out of the crowd and given a story. You guys can sit down. Thank you very much. And what's interesting to me is that we have heard a story. We've heard some claims. And they go like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've heard that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. 
Two weeks ago, we said it has to be revealed to us. We can't do this on our own. It's too grand. The universe is too immense. If we're to understand it and know it, it has to be revealed to us. Jesus claims to be the one who reveals it. Peter says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And he says that absolutely exclusively. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him shall receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. I believe that story. I believe that's truth. It doesn't for a moment mean that I had the privilege of judging everyone else around me. It doesn't for a moment mean that I had the option of being unloving or arrogant or self-righteous or anything else that I want to say about me holding on to truth when someone else doesn't believe what I believe. What it does say is that I have the obligation of continuing to believe a truth about Jesus Christ. He says this about himself, and I believe it. In fact, I believe that I've been chosen, along with the rest of the world, to hear this truth about who Jesus is and to proclaim this truth about Christ. Ultimately, there is something that is true. I don't know exactly how the universe began, but I know it began. It's either that or it's eternal. But one of those is true. And I believe that this is true. And I believe so exclusively that Jesus himself is the one Lord of the universe. For me to think so is absolutely rational, it's reasonable. I think it's supported by the evidence. I think it's supported by history. But not for the moment can I claim any sense of self-righteousness or arrogance or be judgmental or unloving with this truth that more than me choosing it has chosen me. And that's where we need to stand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to earth and revealing yourself to us. You only did it, we know, because of your love. We don't deserve this. We couldn't come up with this. This is not something we hold on to because of something that we've attained. This is only because you have given yourself to the world. And we thank you for the opportunity of believing this truth about you. Help us, help us to tell others about what it is that you've done in coming to the world to save us. We pray through your precious name. Amen.